When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's been 15 years since the Disney musical Enchanted first came out. Why did we have to wait so long for a sequel? Producer Barry Josephson is here with us today on Crew Call to tell us why. Why did it take so long for a sequel? Ah, uh, yes, that, that, is the, uh, that is the question of the hour. Well, I will say that I'm glad it took this long because I think the best version of the movie happened this way. Um, but at the time that the original movie came out, and I think caught everybody by surprise how successful it would be, um, everybody sort of had other things to do, and, and rightfully so. You know, uh, other times when I was a studio executive trying to put sequels together, it's never easy, um, and uh, because careers change. And so our director Kevin Lima was offered one and then another movie. He was offered a movie at Universal, then a movie at Warner Brothers. So he was developing two movies. And, you know, I, I can't blame him for wanting to do that. You know, his, his, his work was recognized and boom, he was off and running. And then frankly, Amy, um, you know, just her career just took off uh, from the movie. And it was, again, one movie after another. And anytime I ever thought about a sequel, you know, how to approach it, who to, who to work with on it, so on, it was always about, well, you've got to have this original cast back, you know, and uh, you know, everybody was busy. James Marsden had movies. Adina had a career. So it really was hard to pull off at the time. And the studio and I both agreed, you know, we'll probably figure this out later. Um, and so here we are at later. So there was never any early drafts of this or early versions that maybe... Yes, there was. There was actually um, a draft that was done early on and uh you know it was sort of like an attempt uh by bill kelly the original writer to come up with a sequel idea but again you know kevin wasn't available amy wasn't available um and it just sort of laid fallow because there was just you know it was impossible to put together at the time and you know there wasn't the perfect idea for the sequel and administrations at disney changed after our movie came out so, you know, they were, you know, that new group of people was trying to figure out what were their group of movies going to be, and ours was not one. I will say one benefit was that Sean Bailey um, became, you know, president of the studio, um, I, you know, sometime before, I guess, like, you know, uh, sometime around like 2010 or 12 or something in there. And later on, I, I met with Sean. Um, and, and Alan Horn introduced us and, and Sean loved the movie. Um, and so Sean be, became the big proponent of wanting to do the sequel. So that was very fortunate, but yeah, at the time it just seemed like impossible to put it together. So for those listening, if you don't mind, if you could tell us the conceit of the sequel. 
sure, the conceit of the, of the sequel is um, a, a wish gone wrong. Um, Giselle has just had uh, a baby and she has a teenage daughter. So, you know, Giselle's a young mom uh, struggling with things that all families struggle with. You know, how do I progress my family? How do I try to make everyone happy and, and, and sort of grow this burgeoning family? And, you know, it becomes a be careful what you wish for kind of story because she wants to do the best for everybody. And, you know, she's struggling with her daughter and she's trying to figure things out um, with her teenage daughter, I should say. And so she decides she's going to move everybody off to suburbia for a very different life. Um, something closer to the life that she had um, in Andalasia and fairy tale, and also closer to the life that she had when she first met Robert and Morgan. So she wants to progress things and she does. Uh, unfortunately, a, a little bit of fairy tale magic gets involved and takes things in a wrong direction. And then Adam Shankman was very key with this. Oh, yes. Could you tell us more about that? Well, you know, in this development process of putting together a second movie, the greatest asset I had was Amy. And Amy Adams became my producer partner. Uh, and I, I really wanted her to produce with me because I, I felt like, you know, she had the best handle on Giselle and how to grow Giselle. But you need a director's vision. And Sean, it was his idea to have Adam come on to the movie, which was a fabulous idea because Adam's musical knowledge is so vast. He's such a great choreographer. He's such a great director. And he knows Disney fairy tales so well. So he was the perfect director to come on to the movie. With him came Richard Legravenes. It was his idea to bring Richard onto the movie. And it was a great idea because Richard really locked into the mother-daughter story and how to have that resonate and how to have all the emotion um, come into the movie. Uh, so so that was just you know a fabulous moment. Um, and we progressed from there all together as a team. The locale you know, was intriguing about the first one. It was set in New York City. This one, you shot in Ireland. Yes. Um, we shot in Ireland because Ireland was a perfect sort of backdrop for the movie we were trying to create um, in so much as that we had uh, the idea of moving to suburbia, which could have been done anywhere. But then suburbia morphs into something else post-wish and Monroeville becomes Monrelasia, something that is that looks like Andalasia and our reality. So we step into a live action fairy tale. So Ireland became just perfect for us because so scenic, the exteriors, um, we had great places to shoot interiors that were allowed us to production design fairy tale. Um, so uh, it became like a no brainer. And we found this great little town of Enniskerry to shoot in, which sort of became Adam's dream for what this suburbia looked like. Um, and we were very fortunate that after Richard left for other work, um, Bridget Hales joined us as just a fabulous writer who worked on Once Upon a Time. Um, and she uh, just came with all the great fairy tale uh, ideas and concepts and, you know, how to progress character. Um, and, you know, the world that we were trying to create, Bridget fulfilled. And we were in Ireland where we could basically shoot anything and everything we wanted. Tell us about the songs. Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz returned. And what was their process like? Because the songs, you know, when you're when you're doing a, a sequel to a musical, you're all, it's also a sequel to the songs. Correct. If you could talk about that challenge 
and how that was laid out in the script. Well, obviously, Alan and Steven are the masters of their craft. There's so many great uh, movies that they've written brilliant music for, composed for. And the first movie, one of the most winning things about Enchanted was the music and the musical numbers. So when Adam came to the movie with so much craft and ability, the notion was, it's not a matter of like, we have to outdo the first movie, but we really must deliver on what we created with the first movie. And the first movie had a great spirit and great emotion and fabulous songs and great musical numbers. So we knew we had to do the same with this movie. It was part of bringing the concept forward. Even though we were doing a new standalone story, that's something that people so enjoyed from this movie. We had to bring that forward. So Mencken and Schwartz, you know, they had both been supportive of me in the process of developing for years. And they were always standing there with their hands up saying, we will join you. We will help in any way. So it was perfect. And uh, when they met with Adam, Adam and Amy both had a great vision for what the music of this movie should be. And together, they all worked on crafting what this would be. Steven looked at the script, studied it carefully, met with Bridget Hales, met with Adam, and he really realized, you know, what to do lyrically to help us advance story and concept and character. And, you know, Alan Menken is just a genius, you know, an Academy Award winning genius. He knew what the spirit of the movie was as well. And he wrote just brilliant music for us. Um, so we're very fortunate that we have some great songs, Fairy Tale Life and Perfect and Batter, that I think really enhance the concept of the movie. Is there anything left on the floor? And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just always fascinating when I think of Wizard of Oz and I think of the missing musical number that, you know, was recovered, you know, on the Criterion Collection Laserdisc. Were there any numbers that unfortunately had to be dropped along the way or no? Yes. I mean, there's um, there's one scene in particular that I love um, that uh, Jody Benson, who was in the original movie, is in with Patrick in the office, which is not a musical number. It's just a very funny scene. I hope someday that sees the light of day. And, and most importantly is that, you know, Robert's character, I mean, uh, Patrick's character, Robert, um, sings and dances in the movie during Fairy Tale Life Part 2, which is fabulous. And he had another number in the movie that just didn't make it called Hard Time for Heroes. So that's the one that's on the cutting room floor that I think everybody around the movie would be most eager to have it see the light of day somewhere in the Disney Plus world. Um, I'm sure uh, after what I hope will be the success of this sequel, um, that, that, that scene or both of those scenes would come to light would be fabulous, I think. Was this shot relatively the same number of production days as the original? Yes, very close. You know, we were, we definitely, uh, I don't want to say exactly how many days, but we, uh, we were in literally within five or six days of that same schedule. Um, so it was a very efficient schedule, but, you know, it was one that we were able to pull off what we needed to do. Um, it was very challenging. It's very challenging to make a movie during COVID for all of my uh, producer and director friends, we've talked about it. And it's just, it was a very challenging thing to do to go to um, Ireland in February of 21 when we were in the height of COVID and they were in the height of COVID. Um, and to try to make a movie was so challenging. 
And again, you know, it's a movie with a lot of cast and tons of extras and, you know, dancers and so on. So yeah, challenging for sure. And, and, and sort of close to that same shooting schedule as the original. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, as far as what the film is about, a cautionary tale yes. in regards to what we were going through with COVID. It is sort of analogous. I mean, we, you know, it is a, it is a be careful what you wish for story, but you know, this, this was sort of like examining the world that she's living in and wanting to try to escape that world and progress that world. And I think for all of us who are just starting to creep out of our COVID lockdown, um, it, it was very interesting. There were a lot of analogous things in the film uh, in the story of the film that were now goes to the life we were living during COVID and this idea that you wanted to get out and escape and, and embellish your life in a way you hadn't been able to for two years. Just going back to the whole long development of this, have you ever had a project that you've been yearning to get off the ground for this long? I mean, it's been, I think, 15 years. Yes, 15 years. I actually met my wife on the first movie. She had a scene in the movie that was cut and she was Amy Adams stand in and she did a great job and we met on the movie. We have two children. My daughter is 13. My son is seven. Uh, So my wife, Brooke, uh, you know, we often joke about how many years it has taken for the sequel to happen. Um, I think think the challenge of how many years was trying to create that story all these years later. that was that was the the hardest part but yeah it's it's always challenging for any producer to have to do that where the only other comparison i have really is men in black when i first optioned the comic book as a studio executive i remember making t-shirts and and sweatshirts for walter parks and laurie and ed solomon uh uh, and and the t-shirt said they 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 arrive you know it said in 1994 they arrive I was off by three years. <laughs> in, 19, <laughs> in 1997, they arrived. But but whenever I run into Walter and Laurie, they still tell me they have those shirts. I think I gave one to Spielberg as well, who was our executive producer. So I was off by three years. But again, like some things just take a long time in their development. And, 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 th- and this just did. And also putting together all the elements, you know, where is Adina's career? Where's Amy's career? You know, we want to add Maya Rudolph. What is she doing? It became, you know, very challenging over the years, not just the development, but where is everybody and how do we, you know, find that right slot? And we finally did. And also COVID, you know, when will things go back into production and how will they go back into production? What is next for you? Let's see. What is next is a lot more development. Uh, I have a few projects um, you know, that I'm working on now, so things that are getting very close. Um, I have a really great uh, uh, spy drama uh, 
Circle of Treason that Liz Garbus is going to direct. I'm very excited about true story of the two women who um, took down Walter James, two female uh, CIA agents um, who were the last people that anybody thought would succeed in, in doing that. And it's a great movie. So we're in the process of putting that together right now. The other thing I wanted to ask you about Disenchanted, obviously Disney Plus is extremely important to Disney. It's a great place to eventize movies and to eventize the service. But when these movies get developed now, are they developed with the option of possibly going to theatrical? Does everything have a clause that, you know, A, could go to streaming or B, could go to theatrical? I'm just curious. And do they make a decision at somewhere, like they see a cut of the film and then decide, this is good for streaming. You know, we could tick all these boxes. I'm just curious if you could provide some insight on that. Well, I, you know, I, it's really a question for Disney executives. My answer about this movie was this was a situational uh, thing where this movie was developed always as a box office movie. And my development and my development towards getting a green light happened right in the midst of COVID. And, and as our whole world was changing and where streaming became even more important. And I think, you know, in our case, I think it was around September of October of 2020 when I received a call saying, what would you think of this becoming a streaming film? For me, I was excited because I was really watching most things streaming. And I also understood that, you know, there are, there are all of these streaming services and, you know, uh, for Disney to be the preeminent uh, family streaming service, why not make some things exclusively streaming? Uh, two and two made four to me. I, I really did understand it in terms of their decision-making process. And for me, they, they did say to me, you're going to make this movie as if you would have done it as a feature film for the box office. So that excited me because it was not that we were going to shrink our idea down in any way, shape or form. It was like, hey, this is the brand new world. Embrace it. And I did. <laughs> the reason why I brought that up, of course, was because Hocus Pocus 2 was a huge hit. And um, for the service, it was Correct. like their most watched movie ever. Yep. And I, like the lady Andy Rooney, I do receive uh, mail. And uh, there were complaints to me from a number of industry folk going, you know, oh, the, you know, they could have sent it to theaters. It would have made a lot of money. There was a lot of built-in brand. And Disney always said, you know, Hocus Pocus 2 was for the service. And to that point, if you go back to the pandemic, we go in two-year cycles. The business goes in two-year cycles. Where were we two years ago? We were in the middle of a pandemic if there was one challenging demographic that was going to have a hard time returning to cinemas, it was, it was women. There was also a question about women and families. So it made sense that some of these films went straight to streaming. Then I received more Andy Rooney like mail and <laughs> the, it was like, no, no, you don't understand. These films can be reverse engineered. It only takes three weeks to reverse engineer one of these films and decide they can go into theaters. I don't know. Maybe that's above our our pay grade in the sense of budgets are determined. You got a lot of Marvel and Avatar films. 
you know, in Q4. I understand that completely. And I, and again, any film producer who tells you that they wouldn't want to see their film on the big screen with an audience, I think is being disingenuous. I think that, uh, you know, if you're a theater producer, you want to be sitting there on opening night with an audience. Um, That said, uh, it is a brand new world. And I watch, you know, Mandalorian, you know, streaming, and I watch, you know, Cupheads with my kids streaming, and I watch, uh, you know, lots of things on Disney Plus with my kids streaming. Um, and, and honestly, I'd say for the most part, 80 to 90% of my viewership is streaming, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's what it is. I mean, I, I watch Star Wars and Marvel with my kids, mostly streaming. So I would say that, um, you know, for Disney and, and Hocus Pocus is a great example being so successful because it's there, that's where you can find it. So I think there is a good argument for why you do certain things in a given year exclusive, because then you can really appreciate that you have this service. And frankly, the service is spending a considerable amount of money for their subscribers. So I just think it is a period of adjustment that people need to get used to, that there will be these things exclusively for streaming. Um, just like, you know, when I was growing up, there were things, exclusive television specials, you know, that's where you saw it. That's where you went for it. So I think it's just, it's just the, the nature of things, you know, that this is the world we're in and some things, some films are going to be exclusively for a streaming service. And I do think, and again, I'm not saying this, you know, to, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, favor anybody, but I do think that. Disney Plus is a remarkable, unique service where there are these exclusive things that make it a benefit to have. Is there any plans to turn Enchanted into a Broadway musical? I would love to see that happen. I have definitely floated that idea. Um, that's its own division that makes those decisions. Um, uh, it's sort of like I'm waiting for the Supreme Court to hand down a decision, and I hope that it's uh, soon. But I think it would be a great idea. Uh, Amy and I have actually talked about a lot of different machinations for this, you know, um, uh, you know, different kinds of things to develop that would be worthwhile. But that is one that I think would be sensational. I'll tell you, my primary reason is that I consider it just this great gift to sit in a room with Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz to see what they would make of this as a Broadway musical could be remarkable. There is a lot of material there now to do it with. And then you know, I think some great concepts to bring forward to the stage and some great new music they could write. So I would, I for one, my hand is raised. Barry Josephson, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I love your pod and I'm excited and thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.